What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income right now? If you're an IT professional who's wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, and if you wondered who else in tech is creating ways to make their money work for them, and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're helping IT professionals find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm your host, Nicole Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Welcome back to the Richer Geek Podcast. In March of this year, 2020, just right before COVID hit and really put the lockdown on all travel, I was at a podcast conference in Orlando that's called PodFest. I met so many amazing people, and today's guest is one of those folks. After connecting at the conference, I saw in his LinkedIn profile that he used to work at Dell as a program manager, and I immediately reached out to see if he'd be a guest on the podcast. Moby Hyatt immigrated to the U.S. in 2010, and he worked at Dell as a program manager, as I mentioned. He started a podcast while working at Dell in 2016 and then started hosting events, then left Dell and joined a startup incubator, and then COVID-19 hit, and he's pivoting into a new role, which he'll discuss and describe on the show. As a side note, if you want to increase your visibility on LinkedIn, and that's, that's a goal or an objective that you have, you really ought to check out his profile and start following him or connect with him. He does an amazing job with the videos and the content that he creates. It's just real life, and it's interesting, and it's not preachy or boring, as I think a lot of videos are right now, and everyone's trying to use video more and more. And it's more of a grassroots, very conversational approach that he takes. So check it out. Let's go ahead and jump in to today's show. Moby, I'm so excited to have you on the show today, hear about what you've been up to, and thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's great to uh, see your face for the first time. I know we had a phone conversation a few weeks ago. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit. I had reached out to you. I saw that you used to work at Dell. I said, oh, a tech guy. (laughs) And then you kind of migrated a little bit away from that. But let's talk about your background and how you got started in tech a little bit. 100%. I actually got started in tech. uh, In college, I realized that one of the skills that I didn't have was build on an idea. Uh, I had this idea in one of my classes like, oh, I was going to build a website and build a business and a service for these students. And I was studying economics and realized I had no way of building even a website to kind of capitalize on that. I actually built something that was in my head. So I started taking a few computer science classes and I went into tech also because I was in a visa in the United States and it's very hard to get a non-technical job at a company that's going to sponsor you for that non-technical job for a visa. So I was like, tech, I like it. Seems like I got a job and I actually did get an internship at a job. So I kind of fell into it and I love the idea of being able to build something and understand it and just take something in my head and make it real for other people. I just fell in love with that idea. So even in the very beginning, you were interested in the online component because you're talking about building a website and having that foundation. Because when I say tech, it could be that, you know, I want to focus very specifically on networks or behind mm-hmm. the scenes or programming, but you were very interested already in the beginning around a website and, and building online pieces, it sounds like. I was. I was. My job at Dell was more in the operations engineering space 
for a tech organization. That was the first thing when tech was like, ooh, we can build something and show it to people. That to me was amazing. That is so cool. It is cool to see projects come to fruition, people using, you know, if it's a software that you wrote or if it is an environment that you built, people using it and then being able to be productive as a result. Okay, so you you worked at Dell, but then you started a podcast and I don't know if that was the catalyst or what was the catalyst that you then transitioned to the Capital Factory. Tell us about that process. So the catalyst behind the podcast was the United States government <laughs> because I was on a visa. When you're working on a visa in the United States, you cannot make money outside of that visa. Um, you can only make money at the job you are sponsored for. So I had these dreams of building a business on the side and, you know, doing the whole immigrant thing. I'll work a day job and I'll have a, I'll have a business and one day I'll quit that day job and be financially free, yada, 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 yada. And I, I started talking to some mentors. I had another idea and I was like, okay, time to try this. I paid a lawyer 300 bucks to hop on the phone with her. She was in San Francisco and worked a lot with tech companies. And she told me, uh, this is while working at Dell the first few years, like, Hey, you, she basically had sh- in a nice way, shut up and wait for your green card because you can't do anything. You cannot legally make a dollar outside of Dell or you're going to get kicked out of the country. So that you know, after all the need, the desire to build a company. And honestly, a lot of the company, a lot of that desire was, yes, build something cool for people. But the second thing was, I wanted to feel like a startup founder. You know, you read about these startup founders in magazine and stuff. And I got pulled by that shallowness. And I got this big hit both to my internal desires and external been like, and I was like, well, the only thing I can do is make content about starting a company. So I'll just interview people about that. And that will fuel my entrepreneur. That will scratch my entrepreneurial itch. And I started just in 2016 going around to people, Hey, how do you build a company with like the goal of that's going to scratch my entrepreneurial itch. And also I'll keep asking these people for advice. And one day I'll actually use that advice. That's a beautiful story and background. First of all, I had no idea that if you are sponsored green card, you can't do anything else on the side. I had no idea. And then second, that this was a way for you to learn and meet people. And like you said, scratch that itch. So how did that transition into the Capital Factory? Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, working at Dell in an organization, then I waited a few years for my green card. I used podcasting and live streaming and connecting with people and making content and helping startups with their marketing for free. I use that to leverage myself into a personal brand, especially focused on the startup community in Austin. And I got to know a lot of the people who ran accelerators and incubators. And when I got the green card after nine years of being in the US, after being on multiple visas, I got it in August, 2019. Immediately I was like, okay, who do I want to work for? I can actually, I can be free. I can jump ship. And uh, I reached out to a friend who was working at Capital Factory and I was just talking to him casually and I realized, oh my God, he's been in that space for four years. Maybe that's a great job for me. And so I hit up the guy who ran the accelerator because I had interviewed him two years ago talking about startups. And he's like, yeah, sure. Come do an interview. And we did an interview and I was hired for that job and was the first person in that role for a very short amount of time. Tell us what, what was the role actually? Like what were the details around this? You startup incubator, is that what you said? Innovator? An accelerator. Accelerator? Uh, Okay. So it it was, um, so incubator is for companies which are just starting up, you know, uh, six to 12 months. 
And then an accelerator is more, okay, we're going to qualify you and make sure you have an idea. You have some traction. You are talking to customers and we're going to fast track your way to startup funding. So the accelerator itself, any accelerator can be bootcamp focused, which is you're going to come in for three months. We're going to teach you this, 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 this. We're going to help you raise money or do whatever. Ours was more pick and choose your adventure. So you come in for six months and you get to choose from our programming, our investor relations, our events, and we'll make sure that you have curated experiences where you meet investors, meet your potential co-founders, meet customers, and go through a lot of boot camps uh, at the same time. So we had our goal for 2020 was have 150 startups join the program and we help them raise money and we do that through a lot of investor meetings, VIP meetings, workshops, boot camps, um, events, road trips, and flight trips to um, New York, Boston, San Francisco, uh, and places like that. And I think you told me at one point, did you run a team of people that was basically, they handled the different components that you just talked about? Yeah. So um, I managed about four teams, uh, which the report up to me, I guess one was, uh, they were all about different functions from the accelerator and they all worked together to provide a specific set of value to the company. So we had a VIP team, a mentor team, a investor relations team, a operations team, and they all reported up to me. So I was working more on the strategy part of it. And I really, really enjoy that. I really enjoy that more than I thought I would. And then COVID-19 hit. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Share a little bit about what happened and the decision that you made then. I think it was kind of a large part of that was made for me. I remember so in Austin, a big deal for any company is South by Southwest and about a hundred thousand people come in for that. Uh, It generates millions of dollars for so many businesses. So many deals are made. So many people make connections. Lives are changed because of that conference. Tim Ferriss actually got one of his big starts at South by Southwest a few years ago, 10 years ago now. And this was in March. And we were all gearing up for it, the entire team. Lots of people had been working for months on it, months, like huge budgets, a big expectations revenue when COVID hit. And so many people were coming from around the world that even before the city went into lockdown or the mayor said something, Cabler Factory canceled its house that we had for South By. Then South By canceled, which was unprecedented in 34 years. And a week later, the city went into shutdown. And the entire world kind of did too. So the impact of the company was, well, number one, co-working is dead. And a part of our business model was co-working. Number two, South By, which was a big revenue draw, effectively canceled and the company lost money. And thirdly, all Q2 and Q3 events are out the window because no one's sponsoring events. And because of that, um, we went into lockdown and a week later, the CEO got got us all on a Zoom call and said, hey, so I'm super proud of you. You guys are doing great work. And uh, you will receive an email uh, if you are furloughed because 50% of the company will have to be furloughed. And I remember I checked my email. I was like, okay, I'm good. I have not received an email. I hang up the phone and I get an email. <laughs> I, I refresh and whoop, there it is. We're, we, regret, we regret to inform you that your position has been furloughed as of March 24th, 25th. And yep, here's what to do next. And I was like, well, I just got laid off in the middle of an economic downturn and global pandemic. Great, beautiful. 
You were very transparent about it. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned in the beginning before we got started is that you put out amazing videos that people can connect with. And I don't see a lot of other people doing that. Like they're, they're either really preachy, right? Or they're just sort of walking along the street randomly talking about something or talking about something randomly in their car. And it's not entertaining and it's not mm. valuable and it's not interesting. And I get it that the algorithms like it within LinkedIn, but I think that your content provides a ton of value and you were very transparent when this happened. And I think people even gave you a hard time about talking about getting laid <laughs> off. Oh, not, not a lot of people did. I think some people were like, oh, wow, you put it out there. That was quick. I actually waited. To, I made the video 10 minutes after I got laid off. And I didn't post it for 24 hours because I didn't want my dad to know that I got laid off from social media. <laughs> so I waited. But um, the whole, and we might get into this, but I just wanted to point out that the reason I make videos like that, which show life as it is, is because of one singular comment that I got in 2019, which changed my mindset about content. When I got my green card and I posted about it, that was after years of it being such a central part of my story and my brand. And as I came to acknowledge it, I got more, more people were like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's amazing. I'm sorry. You have to go through that. Just became a part of my story. And when I got the green card, I had hundreds of comments, right? Somebody commented, and this is a person who had gone through the exact same process that I did a few years ago. And this is a friend. So this is like just poking fun at me. He said, Oh, thank God that soap opera is over. And I realized in that moment that what I created was accidentally a whole soap opera for people on social around this one thing. And I think there's something so valuable for people to see your journey through something, not just the good, but just also the bad and the awkward and the weird and the human emotions we feel if people see that. It's really connecting. And I'm not saying complaining about your problems to the world and say, Hey, go fix them. Uh, please fix them. But say, Hey, this is what happens when you go through the situation. And I just, I try to live by that. I'm trying to live by that more and more. Your videos are, are great and hilarious too, in, in some oh, context. So, okay. So you made a decision then after that, that the capital factory, you got the email South by was canceled everything happening and you made a decision. Tell us a little bit about that and, and the pivot, I guess I will say that you made. Yes. So the, this is the first, my, my first reaction was honestly panic. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah. I think I looked at my uh, finances tab, like in Excel. I was like, okay. Uh, I, I immediately cut a few things. I walked down to my partner building office and said, Hey, I just got laid off. I don't know what's going to happen. I just want to let you know that if rent is late Monday, I'm letting you know right now. I walk up and my first reaction is the standard one, which is, oh my God, what's going to happen? I need to update my resume. I did update my resume. I applied to three jobs that day. I was like, okay, go, go, go. And then the next day I kind of was like, okay, sure. So this is bad. I've got some runway. It's good. When I posted that video that you mentioned also, somebody reached out and said, hey, I'm working on an online summit. You want to help? I'm like, yeah, sure. I wanted to do an online summit in 20... 19, but just never had the time to, it was so much work. And I, I hopped in the phone with him and I, he told me about it. He said, it's going super well. And I looked at his site and I recognized the platform that he was using. Cause I had looked into it. And at that moment I was like, wait, I've got time. And COVID just hit, right? This is a unique opportunity to create something virtual 
which helps people in this space. And our, our first positioning of the whole thing was it's going to be for everybody, but later on we got more focused, but that was a bolt of lightning at that time. Like, Oh, I've got time. I'm not going to find a job in 30 days. Might as well do a summit, something I wanted to do because I have time and it's a great opportunity to do virtual events. hundred percent. So we kind of, I made a split second emotional decision and then we kind of rolled with it. I told my business partner in the morning, he's like, yeah, sure. You're, you're crazy, but yeah, let's do it. Tell me a little bit about the time that was involved in that because I've, I've looked at summits too. I think they can be extremely valuable. It seems very intimidating, just the time commitment, unless you outsource everything and then you just sort of oversee it. What was that like? Was this a 40 hour a week, 60 hour a week what yeah. was involved? Great question. On the front end, there's not much, it's not like 40 hours, 60 hours a week. It's the first thing it has got to be what your positioning is, like who this is for, what's the problem, what's the solution and how are you going to, when are you going to do it? That just takes too much brain power and brain power and just being creative. And that can take eight hours of you working actually three hours and just thinking about it for five more hours. And that was a hard part for the first two weeks. And I, some, some people, it might take five hours to be like, oh, I know exactly what summit to do. Some people, for us, it took at least 40 uh, back and forth, back and forth with me and my business partner. Once that was done, it got into 40 to 60 hour weeks. Uh, we did this over six weeks. So the first week, one or two were ideation. Uh, week two and three were just, and four may, were me on the phone with people. I was putting things out. I was making content and I was just giving people links to my calendar saying, hey, let me call you. Do you want to be on the summit? Hey, do you know anybody who wants to join? Do you know a sponsor? I had days where I had 50, 60 meetings, just me walking on the phone. Those were crazy, but it turned out to be 40 to 60 hours a week. It really does not have to. And I can answer why that is in, in a bit if you ask, but for us, it was six weeks, 40 to 60 hours. And uh, I definitely burnt out after that. Tell us, uh, you were put all this effort into it. What was the summit like? Yeah. So it, first off, it was scary to do because we had 80 speakers. We had 60 sessions. It was four days. Uh, we had live sessions, pre-recorded sessions. A lot of work went into it. Um, here, here's the mistake, not the mistake, but the lesson that I learned. Um, I was pulling 40, 60 hour weeks and just, it, that was my entire life, you know, just eat, exercise, walk, and then do the summit. A lot of the pre-work, which made it seem like a lot, was pre-recording the interviews instead of being like, hey, you're just going to live stream at this time. That took a lot of work. That took 20 to 40 hours. Having so many speakers, that was scary during the summit, but that was also maybe we don't need to have that. When I got to the summit, it was all, it was just me on my computer starting webinars, promoting it on Instagram, just making a lot of stories and just me being present because the work had already been done. Um, it was stressful. The first half of the first day was like, what if things don't work? What if there's audio issues? And there were audio issues. But honestly, now that I look back into it, you don't have to do more than two days. You don't have to do more than one day if you don't want to. You can make all sessions live streamed. So you don't have to do any pre-recorded interviews. And all you need basically is a time, a date, a topic, your speakers, which could be eight have them all do live webinars and the Zoom, it'll cost you 50 bucks. And we did it all on trials. Like we maxed out our trials, then went into and actually paid for something. So if you do it right, 
uh, not do it right. If you talk to somebody who's made the mistake of doing it too big, you actually don't have to work that much. I think you can get away. Honestly, if you plan for three weeks, three months, you can get away with 10 hours a week, hundred percent. Okay. So if someone listening is, and, and I've got folks that listen who are in tech, but in these different industries. And I remember one of the folks I talked with was wanting to start a podcast that was kind of a ed tech, educational tech in like K through 12 space mm-hmm. and educating people around that. So let's say that person wanted to do a summit then. You think that maybe just 10 hours scaling it down, right? And you know, that kind of makes sense for the first one. Maybe it isn't that big. Maybe it's just one day and some of these tips that you have. What other tips or advice do you have? Yeah, uh, great question. So one of the reasons we went for a lot of speakers was because we were like, oh, we want to pull their audiences. Uh, If we have 80 speakers, that means if everyone gets 10 people, that's 800 people who come. And that was a lot of our thinking. I think picking out people who, as speakers, who can promote for you and just picking some people who might have an audience. If you don't have one, just pick out, try to pick out people who uh, don't have an audience. And surprisingly, we got a few people who say yes, which I didn't expect to based on the story of the summit that, Hey, I got laid off trying to help people. Would you like to be involved? Two people that I did not expect said yes. Uh, and they have huge audiences. Um, so hundred percent capitalize on other people's audiences. Number two, uh, speakers actually, if they're involved in it, they want to market it and show that they're a thought leader and they're speaking at this big summit. Um, so really dial in the speaker communication. They want to market they want to promote the fact that they're talking. They want people at their session. So if you give them the right assets, whether that's photos for Instagram, small videos, um, you make Facebook events, LinkedIn events for their session separately. So you could have one big LinkedIn event for the whole summit. Then you have every speaker create a LinkedIn event for their own session. You just reach more people and communicating that with speakers and just being really close with them really helps. It was hard for us because we had 80 my business partner really had to like step up and do that because I'm horrible at communicating to 80 people. It was just madness. So that was, those would be my two things. And number three, I think um, marketing it, create the behind the scenes constantly. Just, Hey, we're doing this every day. Post one piece of content of you building the summit instead of saying, join my summit, join my summit, join my summit, join my summit, just show people the journey of it and they will be invested like a soap opera. I think that is huge. So, you're talking about the logistics of the summit and that's big and the story of why you transitioned to help your business partner build it. And that story resonated with people and those are huge strengths. But I think the strength that you really have is content. And you're talking about like putting out these videos and doing Instagram and, you know, for someone like me, that's very overwhelming and intimidating. And I think you have a strength there. And then to your point, I see so many virtual because I'm, I'm very much in the real estate space. Mm-hmm. So I will see a ton of it's multifamily or it's single family or it's, you know, different kind of interest groups like women in real estate and they're all doing virtual summits. Mm-hmm. But to your point, it's just out there marketing it. And there hasn't been this story in this buildup like you did which was the story of why you did it and why it's bringing value to people and what it's like to go through it. I thought yeah. that was so well done. I appreciate that. I actually learned that just from watching other people. We leaned into the whole I'm laid off story uh, once we realized, oh, that's actually useful. But I remember going to talks and conferences 
and remembering this influencer talk. And I would remember maybe, maybe one point about their actual like, hey, this is what you do. Maybe I would remember one thing from their talk, but I would remember their story and why they did it. Even if it seems made up, I just remember it. And I realized we're just hardwired to remember stories. We care if we hear stories. And I just feel like I don't do a perfect job, but if we lean into it and be like, this is why we're doing it. Not, it's not just a cash grab. We want to help you. And this is why we want to help you. That is super useful to connect to. It makes me care about what you're doing. So what's next for you? What will you be doing after? Because you probably, after the summit was over, said, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm exhausted. What's next? <laughs> yeah, I actually was mentally, emotionally exhausted. It was just, you know, 40, 60 hour weeks for five, six weeks. And uh, I decided that I was not going to take any money from the summit. And it was all going to go back into the business. Just so I... I would not have to worry about the business runway for a long time. And that's what we did. And I, I took a few, I tried to take, I'll be honest, I tried to take weeks off. The first week after that was not great because I just went from this space of talking to 40, 50 people every week to being like, I'm going to have no meetings this week. And I tried, but I just still set up these meetings. It was so stupid. I had about five, six meetings. And I was like, that's too much. And I tried to create these boundaries for myself, which is Monday, um, I'm not going to do any in the business work. Uh, I won't do anything like that. Friday, I'm going to read, I'm going to do this. That horribly failed, but I learned a little bit. And now it's, it's, I think I used an example of a friend. I used him as inspiration. He took this time. He has a huge uh, e-commerce brand, one that has like been on the laptops of people like Tim Ferriss, Casey Neistat, just these really like high-tech uh, influencers really respected. And he's just built a huge e-commerce company. He took this time because he was so confused and torn about what to do next, even after his success, that he just took a month and just wrote every day and journaled and really thought hard and went through this painful process of isolation being like, what do I do next? And the last two, three weeks, I started writing it down, which is, you know, answering these questions about myself and what I want to do, talking to people slowly. I still can't, my still can't go back to the 40 meetings a week thing. That's still difficult. Zoom. I'm still burned out from Zoom. And now I think what I'm, what I'm good at is creative content. Like how can I tell somebody's story? Um, what are they making the, the most boring thing in the world? can be made amazing. There's this guy, this, this is a segue. There's this guy who has a channel called, um, I think AC Canada or AA Canada, which is Ant Army Canada. He just has 200, 300 ants in glasses, in um, tanks, and he creates National Geographic style dramas from them. It's fascinating. And I'm like, how does somebody do that? There's so many talented people in the world. I'm not as talented, but I, I want to use that ability to, to help to coach people, just create this amazing content for themselves that tells their story, really helps them get them out of their shell and get more people to notice them. Because one of the, you know, I think this has always been a tragedy that a lot of people who deserve attention don't get it. And we all have, I've had ideas where I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. This is going to be amazing. No one knows and no one cares. 
And I, if I can help people get beyond that in a self-sufficient way, I would love to help people just get in front of more customers and just get attention and just drive traffic to the things they care about because they built it and they spent years on it. That to me feels like the next step. And I'm still trying to figure out. Um, I've got a few mentors that I call every week. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Please help me, Pablo or Manjula. Please help me. And I'm reading books. I'm taking courses, but I'm really trying to figure out with the amount of time I have left with my savings, how do I jump in and help people in a way that even if I get five, 10 clients, I serve them so well that they talk about it. So I'm trying to do that. Really help people with that transformation to invisible to a really growing network and visibility around the thing they care about through content. I think that is so perfect for you because this is what I've talked about is that your videos and the way that I became aware of you was simply that you hosted one of the breakout sessions at PodFest and you walk up to the front of the room and you said, Hey, everybody connect. Here's how we can all connect via LinkedIn. And that was about it. And your name is cool anyway, Moby, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I saw Dell in tech. And so my, I always am on the lookout for guests on my podcast. Yeah. Anyone, like the minute I hear tech and they're doing something else in addition to, well, you know, I mostly focus on people working full time in tech and doing something, you know, on the side or yeah. doing some kind of interesting investment it just piqued my interest. And then your LinkedIn videos are just phenomenal. So I think that is the perfect thing for you to do. You could also run, you could also help people put summits together. Cause I still think that's sort of intimidating as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, oh, we're, we're going to do that too. Uh, well, that's going to be more, uh, behind the scenes. If someone reaches out, um, and they're like, Oh, we're doing a summit We We will help them. Uh, we just don't, won't market our service as much. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe they'll backfire. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I might be on the street in three months ago. Let's see. I, I don't think that is going to be the case because you're, you're <laughs> just doing such an awesome job. Tell us, um, how can listeners get in touch with you or learn more about this, you know, some of the coaching and the things that you're launching? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is awesome. Just Moby with the mic. So Moby Hayat, I, I'm the guy with the blue background. And my Instagram is not that Moby because I'm not the DJ. Uh, and that's the best way to connect. I, I make content. My KPIs for content are actually uh, make two videos a week. That's my North Star and like my pillar of content. And I'm going more into YouTube as well. So just trying out new things and trying to be better at this craft or telling stories around. So many people make content around the things that I make content about, just like everybody else. And it's still hard to stand out. And I think it takes a while for you to figure out your style and break out, for lack of a better word. And um, yeah, just trying to learn and be better and see what happens. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast. For today's show notes, including links and resources, visit us at therichergeek.com. Don't forget to head over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Help us spread the word by sharing with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review. That'll help us get the podcast in front of more people. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>